Hey there, and welcome to the Catching Up with KC show, where we talk about anything and everything that has to do with building cohesive, vision-driven teams. I am Casey Watts, school impact strategist and the host of this show. Now, if you are here, then you inevitably are an instructional leader who wants to make change happen, even when change seems impossible. And you can do that if you have cohesive, vision-driven teams that have done clarity work. They know exactly where they're headed and how they're going to get there. These teams have done identity work and they've built their self and social awareness skills. And they have done collaboration work and they know how to move beyond faux collaboration to get to true collaboration where change happens and where people get on board. I'm so excited to bring to you conversations that help you to do exactly that. The work that needs to be done to build cohesive vision-driven teams. Now, with all of that said, let's dive into today's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Catching Up with Casey show. I am so excited to have you here tonight. Hopefully, if you're joining us, you have a chance to pop into the comments. Let us know who you are, where you're from, and what brings you to the show. And I'm super excited to join uh, with Steve Ventura tonight. For this episode, we're going to be talking all about the true effects of instructional coaching. So Steve, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you. Oh, Casey, thank you so much for having me. This is actually quite an honor. I've been watching you and following you. I think you have a huge impact. And for us to get together like this, I'm just extremely pleased. Um, So I really, really am grateful. You humbled me by asking me to be here. So I'm happy to do it. And I think we'll have some great conversations today anyway. So it'll be great. Yeah, I am really excited to hear about some of the things that you have to share. And I've got some great questions that are going to guide us through some conversations. So if you are here and you have additional questions that maybe I'm not bringing to the table, be sure to put them in the comments. So, Steve, let's start off by having you share a little bit about who you are, your where you are, your aspirations, your role and what kind of work you do. Yeah, I will. You know, it's funny. I, I it's a it's a short story. But, you know, I started off as a very humble physical education teacher. And after three years of teaching physical education, I felt like, oh, you know, I really like communicating with people and I like coaching. So I then became, uh, got went back to school and got a degree in special ed. And I loved that. And then I got my master's in administration and I was an administrator for 25 years in public schools out here in California. But then, Casey, I started getting really interested in data analysis and reflection and interpretation. So for some reason, and I wasn't a math person or anything like that or a numbers person, but I got into looking at, well, what are the best probability um, strategies out there that make a difference? And so I transitioned into um, that kind of work. And then next thing you know, I started to, to become a a superintendent and I was a full-time superintendent for four years. And then that was in 2010. Ever since then, I have been on the road full-time for the last 13 years, traveling around the country, sometimes internationally, 
talking about what matters most. And so, you know, our flagship training is called Achievement Teams about collaboration, collective efficacy. But I do a lot what you do, work with leaders and help leaders become better consumers of instructional leadership and coaching as well. And I wasn't by, you know, circumstances like you are, an instructional coach. I mean, we focused on collaboration, but we're seeing now the advantages of even coaching collaboration. So we've actually included that now into the things that we're doing when we provide support, right? So there are no more drive-bys. There's like, oh, well, here's a process, but here's how you sustain it. And it's yeah. coaching. It's not more learning. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So mm -hmm. yeah. anyway, yeah, that's it. Okay. I love it. Well, I really enjoyed hearing about your history and all of the different roles that you served. And it's, I feel like it's such a testament to how coaching really is um, a habit that you end up possessing, right? And it's what mm -hmm. I think great instructional leaders all really choose to inform themselves of is how do I build habits of becoming a coach as a leader? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what um, your experiences or your work with instructional coaches is. I really am admiring what you've said about how coaches are the sustainability piece. So anyway, tell us a little bit about your work with instructional coaches. What role do you believe that they play in teachers or in students' lives? Mm -hmm. Honestly, instructional coaching, these are the catalysts for improving the quality of instruction. That's really what we're looking for. But I think the quality of an educator can be determined after students leave that one classroom and go to other classrooms and become successful. And I think that coaching provides a perfect transition from, you know, wanting to help people to actually finding the ability to sustain learning. My thing is that there is a practice of coaching that can considerably accelerate student achievement. And it's not talking or mentoring, it's asking questions and listening. Mm -hmm. And we discovered that right away, even in our own work. So what we discovered with um, coaching is that it's challenging because I think some people aren't humble enough to want to be able to be coached one of the things I've learned about the teams we work with, like we do a lot of work with collective efficacy and collaboration and we provide, we have instructional coaches that we, we use. And what we want our coaches to do with teams is to focus less on just the data and the assessment and all of those things and focus more on root causes. Like we coach people to talk about what preceded the events that happened based on an assessment or an instructional strategy mm -hmm. and then go deeper with that. So most of the time we try to find the cause that led to the effect. And then when we list a cause, like, well, kids couldn't determine the central idea of a, a text, then we coach teachers on how to help them determine central ideas through instructional strategies or whatever it might be. So I feel like coaching is an amazing opportunity to um, literally impact the lives of teachers and build up their own self-efficacy. Yeah. It's challenging though. Would you mm -hmm. agree? Oh my gosh. It's extremely challenging. You, I think probably someone was saying recently, one of my dear friends that she's an instructional coach. She's been an instructional coach for three years. 
And she has said instructional coaching is probably one of the most challenging roles that she has ever taken on mm -hmm. because there's, so, there's such a deeper level of understanding that you have to have about interacting with other adults. Well, and that's the support thing that I love the most. Like I have, I, unfortunately, I work in some school districts where an instructional coach is not allowed into a teacher's classroom unless they're invited. Yep. You know, they have to do these memorandum of understanding. It, to me, it's so ridiculous. I didn't have a coach when I was a new teacher. I would have loved to have somebody yeah. help, help me refine my practice mm -hmm. and support me. And I, I would have never even thought that there was anything sinister about that, except right. the fact that I need help. Yep. You know, it's a funny case. I'm a little older than you. <laughs> I remember when I um, started teaching, this is in the mid 80s. And this is when there was a growing recognition for teacher leadership. I remember because in the mid to late 80s, at least in California, where I live, we started forming beginning teacher support programs, BITSA, BTSA, right? And it wasn't coaching. It was taking on someone like me and mentoring me to get me through my first two years. Mm -hmm. But there was a coaching piece to it. But the mentors were not instructional coaches. They were just really nice people who had right. expertise and they were guiding us. But I saw this happen. It started actually emerging around the 80s. And then it got even more popular as people started focusing on it. Your state really values instructional coaches. Texas does. Yep. I don't know if I've been to another place where coaches are actually held up to this very high level of respect. Mm -hmm. In other states I work with, coaches could be the soup of the day. One day they got to do yard duty. One yeah. day they're filling in. I mean, it's not sacred like it is in Texas. It seems right. like if you're an instructional coach, that's what you do. If we need somebody else to sub, we're going to have to get a sub because we need you to support our teachers. So yeah. again, I saw this emerging. And then of course, who wouldn't love job embedded professional growth with an instructional coach? I mean, it's right there, right? Like you get it whenever you need it. And I think the best part for me is like individualized support. Like you have individualized support where people can help address some of the speed bumps that you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. I don't see any downside to instructional coaching and most instructional coaches. Well, they're like you, they're full of enthusiasm. Like yeah. all they want to do is share and mm -hmm. help people succeed. Yeah. So I feel like it's such a great, great, opportunity to have a major impact on learning. I mean, I love Jim Knight's work. I read as much as I can about coaching, but my initial professional development was around showing people how to implement a collaborative protocol. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until later, Casey, that we discovered like, well, you just can't do a drive-by and show people how to PLC. Mm -hmm. There's the additional support behind that. And it comes in the form of making better decisions instructionally. It comes in the form of relational trust. And basically it comes into reflection. Yeah. And to me, that's where we're going now with our businesses, like helping people um, reflect more um, yes. about their practice. Yeah. I actually was in a meeting recently with a, a an assistant principal and a um, principal candidate. So she's going through principal certification and we're going through a clarity cycle protocol. And one of the things that uh, we actually did a 1055 protocol, we were getting to the root cause analysis. And one of the things that we listed 
as we listed out, like what are 20 possible reasons for this, this problem that we're noticing. And one of them was teachers are not reflective. And we got into this conversation about like, what, like, what is it that's causing them not to be reflective? But really and truly, if you don't have that job embedded support and that you don't have a culture of coaching, then it's easy to get tucked away into your little silos in your classrooms and continue on as you always have. Yeah. And then we're not noticing any sustainable change. And then it becomes hard to actually move into a mindset of change. And then we become stagnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I see some people in the chat room. And uh, your fan club is here. (laughs) Um, But um, Alyssa just mentioned something because I was going to get to it. I mean, where coaches succeed the most is when the principals know how to use them. Yeah. And the principal to me is the single most important factor in leading school transformation. So it's the responsibility of the principal Mm -hmm. to determine how they should be using instructional coaches. And trust me, principals need coaching. Right. So it's just goes to show you that um, uh, the principals really, really need to understand what an instructional coach does. And as I mentioned to you before, I see principals making these very, very uh, careless decisions about how to use coaches because they look at coaches as not a way to improve instruction and, and increase achievement. It looks like it's another quasi administrator that they have because they need so much help. Right. And I think the worst thing we can do is treat a coach like a little bit of an admin person because then we lose all that trust. Mm-hmm. And so it just seems like ugh, I, 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 I just I want to say so many things to my admin friends like you, you just can't use an instructional coach this way. It's not what they want. It's not their passion. Yeah. Their passion is providing support. Yep. And with teachers to improve practice, I yeah. know you wanted me to talk a little bit about the research and it's starting to emerge now. Like yeah. it wasn't before, like there wasn't a lot. It's a practically new kind of, it's not new Casey, but it's not mainstream. Like, mm-hmm. like some other things we do in education. So, but I can't find anything wrong with coaching. I feel like, you know, I'm looking at these comments. <laughs> um, I feel like, you get professional growth, you get individual support, you get reflective practice and teacher retention actually increases with better instructional coaching. You know, sometimes teachers don't leave bad schools, they leave bad leadership. Right. And I feel like if you have really strong instructional coaches, I know I work with one and they, she's absolutely revered. She's so important. And um, she has actually broken through to even the most resistant people Mm. they actually would like to learn more about you know an impact cycle like Mm. i'm sure you're familiar with this i mean it's a very standard way to go but it's so powerful i mean i have even offered to do the same thing listen um would you like me to model a lesson for you i can do one i can do some micro teaching for you right now 15 minutes you want to watch me do this lesson or do you want to co-teach maybe we can plan this together Or do you want me to watch your lesson and then we can debrief? All of those things are so valuable. But I have instructional coaches ask me like, Steve, I don't think I'm ready to coach anybody. And I'm like, yes, you are. Mm -hmm. You can see how humble people are. They don't think they have enough enough expertise. 
I don't know what your experience with that is, but I have coaches I work with that say, I don't know. I don't know if they'll listen to me. Yeah. And I always tell people, then you know what you do? You find the least resistant person in your building who wants to be coach. And that's where you start. Absolutely. And after you do that, then you go to the next least resistant person and the next least resistant person. And pretty soon you're getting through to a majority of the people on the campus. I don't mean to hog so much, but this is such a passionate discussion. So absolutely. um, So the, there are coaches that I've been working with recently. And one of the things that I do before I go to work with them is send them a survey and ask like, what are some things that have been wins for you? What are some challenges that you've experienced? And what do you want us to most focus on? Time and time again, it's resistant teachers. What do I do about resistant teachers? What yeah. do I do about resistant teachers? But I think so often we place so much focus on that. And when we're dealing with, when we're trying to figure out how to deal with resistant people, it really can bog us down and make us feel as oh, yeah. though we are not we're not, we don't have the capacity to work with them um, because we're starting in the wrong place. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I I always tell people like, you know, one of the things I talk about when I keynote or something is just that sometimes the most resistant people in an organization are always trying to position themselves as the most important people. Mm -hmm. And I'm always telling instructional coaches and principals, well, you don't make your decisions based on the most resistant people. Um, You make decisions based on your best people. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon resistant people start getting isolated. Like all of a sudden there's this movement. Like, well, we got 75 to 80% of the faculty moving in one way or in one direction. And then resistant people feel a little bit exposed. Like, well, wait yeah. a second. Like I'm, I'm the only handful of people that are going against this now. Yep. And I think those are the kind of momentum that we, um, you know, really need to look at because instructional coaching has so many huge benefits but I'm learning more and more about like dialogical logic. Um, I read an article from Deanna Kuhn from uh, Columbia University and talked about what are the benefits of, of instructional coaching and dialogue. And her paper overall was titled Thinking Together and Alone. And what she was talking about is people who are asked to work together on a lot of different levels, cog- cognitive levels. But the most productive coaching is when people directly engage other people's thinking. The most productive, the least effective coaching is when people dismiss somebody else's suggestions or contributions. Hmm. And I think this is sometimes what coaches go through is kind of a dismissal of what they have to offer. And then how, then when's a coach want to go back and work with someone who's going to minimize how important they really are? Right. So I think the most the most productive coaching I've seen is when people validate each other and they actually engage in each other's thinking. That's mm-hmm. when it starts really rolling like a well-oiled machine. And, um, you know, I I'll just make this one last point. I I you do a lot of work with PLCs and, and collaboration. I follow you. And there's something called this, you know, this PLC echo chamber where you have a group of people who have very similar viewpoints. So they agree on everything in collaboration. And the only issue with that is it minimizes their exposure to other ideas. Mm -hmm. This is where the instructional coach comes in, like literally facilitates the meeting and then introduces other viewpoints that might not be completely accepted by the team. That's, that's dialogical logic. So I I think coaches have this amazing impact 
And you know, coaches are good at what they do. They don't want to be coaches because they're tired of doing something else. They want to do something that brings professional, right? Uh, you know, they just they 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 feel it's professionally rewarding to do that kind of work. So yeah, anyway. and, and they all, they feel like that's where the greater impact is. You know, like mm -hmm. I can make a greater impact. What you have just said, oh, I don't have it on my shelf, but there's a book called Groupthink. And what you were saying uh, makes me think of that. And I, so often, I actually at the beginning, I know I'm kind of going off script here, but no. at the beginning of the school year, I, as an instructional coach at the school that I work at full time, um, we did some team collaboration. I used actually Alyssa Crabtree, who's in the comments here. Yes. Yeah. Um, I used her, a piece of her launch method with a short amount of time that I had for launching collaborative teams. And one of the things that I asked was, do you feel, or in what ways do you feel that your team is collaborative? And almost every team for the most part was like, yeah, we, we collaborate really well, but their extension to that was, we all get along. We don't disagree. We share things. And I was like, Ooh, that's not quite what I mean by collaboration, but it does highlight for me as an instructional leader, what I can do to push the boundaries a little bit. Yeah. I, I feel like the uh, coaching is so much more than just talking to somebody. Yes. And we feel like the reflection piece is where you get your biggest bank for the buck now because especially when we do our plcs like we do something called achievement teams and when we do achievement teams what we're trying to do is move away from just the data and the assessments to more of again what preceded that event but let's reflect on the strategies we used and why they weren't productive and let's reflect on the way we um formulated our assessment and why didn't it yield the results we were hoping for and we want people to think more deeply about that than saying, well, we have to PLC today, so let's just get it done. Yep. Where can you imagine the whole idea of a coach is to help people on a collaborative actually, to me, appropriate new knowledge about teaching and learning, not maintain existing knowledge, and then sensitively challenge current thinking and practice. Mm -hmm. And if you can have a meeting like that, where your whole goal was to appropriate new knowledge in the next 45 minutes and sensitively challenge current thinking and practice, would that not be an amazing coach to PLC? Yeah. Like people should be like leaving that renewed and refreshed and like, I can't wait to try this. Uh-huh. But what we do is we come to consensus so quickly and people don't know the value of PLC time and how coaches can literally facilitate those meetings. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always have to be careful with that because a facilitator doesn't run the meeting. The facilitator facilitates the meeting. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yes. And so they don't talk the whole time. Mm -hmm. They just say things like, so Casey, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So to me, I mean, that's where we're going when they're in our own practice with achievement teams. Yeah. And I love it. So that was it. But okay. you know, go ahead, please. No, I was just going to, you keep going. I'm just soaking it all in. And I think our audience is probably soaking it all in too. So go for it. Well, you know what I was taught? I was thinking, um, is it possible to share a quick couple of slides? Because I put them together for the research piece of this. Like, what is the research saying about mm. instructional coaching? And I, I, you may have seen these before, but I'd love to share them since we have this room here and then get people's feedback. Alyssa's here. Melissa's here. So 
maybe we can go over this together and take a look at it. Is it okay if I present a little bit? You know, I want you to see if you can share your screen. I don't know if that's a possibility, but if not, uh, I may be able to share something from my screen. I can. Oh, perfect. Can, am I sharing? Yes. There oh, it is. Great. So, you know, when we were pre-planning for this, you, you kind of, you talked about like, what does the research say about instructional coaching? Can I share that with you? Yes, please. Would love so, to hear. If you don't know my background too much, you know, I, I was a, um, a certified visible learning trainer. I worked with Professor Hattie. He wrote the forward to my book. Um, and so I was working with Corwin. And we started off, you know, with the original visible learning, which was his research where he ranked order 138 factors that influenced student achievement, one being the most important, 138 being the least. Well, now... 13 years later, 12 years later, he has the sequel. It's so much better, Casey. The original book was not readable. Now, I know you know about Visible Learning Meta X, so you know where to find some of those most recent um, pieces of information. But this book, to me, even I think coaches should be referring to it, not only because it talks about how important coaching is, but there are so many other great pieces of information here. And what's happened now over the last 12 years with this is that this is still the largest summary of educational research that's ever been conducted. And if you look at the sheer numbers, it's nuts. Professor Hattie read 132,000 pieces of research data that involved over 300 million kids. And now this book that we're looking at has 320 influences and he's changed his tone. Are you familiar? You guys, you're familiar with visible learning, right? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, the first book was about literally, if you wanted to, you could go to the index, Casey, and you know that 0.4 was the hinge point, right? Well, if you mm -hmm. teach your year, you grow a year. So what do people do? They only looked at the effects starting at 0.4 and then went up to the list to the very highest. And I think John Hattie has realized you can find something that has an effect size below 0.4, but there are still some valuable things to learn from that. And so you mm -hmm. shouldn't discount it. In fact, what people were doing with the original visible learning was saying, if coaching is not in the top 10, then it may not be important, right? Right. Well, now it's a whole different kettle of fish. And I tell you why. This is the big aha for me. So I get the book and I look up instructional coaching and I was completely disappointed to see that the effect was 0.26. Mm -hmm. when, when I was working for visible learning, we were taught that 0.4 was the hinge point, right? And now we've changed from the barometer of influence to the thermometer. But this was such a great read. And it's it's better than Visible Learning Meta X because there's more of a story here. But so I actually was presenting to a district in Texas, Comal Independent School District mm -hmm. um, near, um, I think, Austin. Yeah. And there's a room full of coaches and I showed this to them and they all had this collective sigh like, that's it, 0.26. I'm like, no, you've got to read the whole story. And so what I did was, is I started breaking down, well, what does this actually mean? What does 0.26 actually mean? The first thing I discovered about instructional coaching was that every, every effect size in the new book gets a robust score. It's like a confidence interval. And Hattie's trying to tell us how much confidence is there, not in the practice of coaching, but in the findings for coaching. And the confidence interval is usually one through five. And you can see here, it's less than three, right? Three is confidence, mm -hmm. less than three is up. So I'm like, well, I'm still wondering what the 0.26 is. 
And then if you read the whole story, he'll tell you how many studies there were involved in instructional coaching. I don't think 88 is a lot. Right. Um, knowing how much you're into this and um, our guests, I mean, 88 studies on instructional coaching, that only involves like about 8,000 people. Right. So the effect and the robust score is low, not because coaching doesn't make a difference. This need more studies. And that's how visible learning has evolved. Now, when you find something that has a low impact or a low effect below 0.4, what you're really looking for is not dismissing it. What you're looking at is, well, it, there needs to be a little bit more research. So I know, um, again, people could go to visiblelearningmedx.com and they can look up coaching and find the same thing, but it won't tell them what I'm about to show you because this book I love. Yes. And even though it was 0.26, Casey, I look, there's got to be. So he tells this whole story now. He goes, there's got to be something that's higher than 0.26 because that's an aggregate score of a bunch of studies. And here's what I discovered. I kind of was promoting this. Instructional coaches improve learning attitudes of the people they work with. And I have a feeling you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so just improving attitudes of the people that are in front of kids to me is huge. It's 0.41. But you know, instructional coaches actually build teacher self-efficacy. You know what happens when teachers have a high degree of efficacious behavior? They refer fewer students to special ed because they believe that they can provide more support in the classroom before they have them screened. Yeah. So building self-efficacy means that you know people will um, try again when things don't go well. Coaches actually instill this into the people they work with. The other thing, of course, is there's so much research now about what works best. And of course, you know, coaches can help teachers acquire more acquisition and the skills they need to be successful in the classroom. 0.69 effect. And then overall, same place where we saw that 0.26, the effect of improving teaching practice had a 0.91 effect size. So if I'm an instructional coach and I'm looking at this right now, how validated would I be feeling now? Yeah. And, and so Casey, right, you got to read the whole story. So we just can't say, oh, 0.26. I'm sorry. It's not a 0.4. I guess we're going to move on. Exactly. This is right. what I love about this book. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you gave me the platform to share this because, of course, Jim Knight is involved. Once Jim Knight got a hold of all this, then Jim Knight started refining coaching into three stages, which is identify a clear picture of what we need to focus goals. And this is what the coaches are doing, right? The learning stage is when the coach helps prepare teachers to get that goal by clearly describing whatever strategy has to be implemented. And then the next thing, of course, I mean, is the improvement stage yeah. where they support the teacher as they adapt. I mean, isn't, I mean, this is so, to me, terrific to understand that there is a body of research, even though there's not enough studies yet that would say um, how much um, do we actually use um, that research for right so i i feel like when you set me up for this like steve's going to talk about what the research says about coaching you know i have a kind of some blinders because i know john hattie and i usually go to visible learning for those type of like lookups knowing that he gets criticized all the time but i don't think anybody's still read that much right <laughs> I mean, when, when when we were talking about well how many studies did he read for the overall book um, 132,000 studies, all he's doing is a control versus treatment group. He's mm -hmm. just comparing how much impact coaching could have compared to teachers who never got it. Right. And to me, I see Alyssa's on here. I mean, don't you think that if I'm a coach, 
and, and my principal knew how valuable those things were, that a principal should be standing up in front of their faculty showing those five slides. Yes. Oh, right off the bat. That's where the leader should be going with this. So, yes. And that's what should be presented to the leader to understand how instructional coaches, coaches can be a critical component to moving their, their school forward. Well, and I wanted to pay you a compliment because what's happening with visible learning is people are going and just doing Google searches and they're putting up the complete wrong effect sizes from old research. You know, it changes. It's very fluid. He keeps reading, he keeps recalculating. Mm -hmm. And they'll say numbers that aren't true anymore. They're not, they're not valid anymore and they're not looking at it. And you know what impressed me about you is you actually referred to visible learning meta X. I follow you. You talked about it. <laughs> This is how I know you know what you're talking about because that's where you go to get the mm -hmm. most recent effect. Now, it won't tell you what I just showed you. Right. It will give you a pretty good description, but I already knew when you literally referred to visible learning medex, I'm like, this woman knows <laughs> that there's a current piece of research parked on the website that you can go find those, you know, over 300 plus influences. Right. And then learn a little bit more about them. And all the effect size means is it just means it has the probability of making a difference. Correct. But I looked at those effect sizes 0.91 with mm -hmm. um, improving practice. That's pretty high probability, Casey. Right. Yeah. So, and that's one of the things that I always say, because I pull up visible learning research all the time with schools that I'm working with, but even with the teachers that I work with, especially in moving toward collective efficacy, because we don't just focus on collective efficacy. We think about, okay, well, if we're working toward collective efficacy, then what are the strategies that we're really going to hone in on together and what instructional strategies have a, a greater effect size? But we have to remember it has the potential to considerably impact student learning. Yes. We have to do the, the work behind it to ensure that it's making that considerable impact. Well, and, you know, even though I'm not closely associated with Corwin and visible learning, I mean, you can't unlearn what you learned. Right. And so I've been, you know, our whole book achievement team was based on six super factors from the visible learning research. And one of them was feedback, which is a huge role for coaching. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there, the, the, the reflective practice and the, um, the way that visible learning in that, in that short two, three page passage that I read in the books just talked about the advantages of coaching. I was so happy to share that with other people like you or Alyssa or anybody else that's listening right now, because I feel like our leaders need to know that there's a body of contemporary research mm -hmm. that's available right now that we should be sharing with the rest of the people who are on the sideline of coaching yet. They, they don't know yet. And I'm thinking, right. but look at the probability of you actually getting coached. Yeah. Being humble enough to accept some reflective conversations. I right. mean, and coaches have to have a beautiful disposition to be able to do this. They do. There are a lot of different factors that have to be considered and a lot of different things that they have to practice, including building relationships um, in order to actually make an impact or actually come alongside these teachers and do the work of understanding those strategies that have a great impact. Yeah. And because I'm not as talented as you and Alyssa in the coaching, you know, world, I mean, we, we dabble more in collaborative coaching. 
Mm-hmm. But you prepped me and asked a question like, well, what keeps teams from collaborating effectively? I mean, you completely set me up because we know, because we do this all the time. And how can a coach support highly effective collaboration? The reason why sometimes collaboration isn't that effective is most teams don't have a protocol that they follow. No one's really monitoring them. I'm not talking about people in lockstep. You have to do it the same way. I'm talking about following a protocol consistently. Mm-hmm. And teams that follow protocols consistently usually enjoy collaboration more than if the three of us just got together and said, okay, Alyssa or Melissa, here's, um, um, we have 45 minutes. What do we want to talk about right now? And then at the end of the meeting, nobody appropriates anything that's a takeaway. Right. So I feel like what what makes coaching really strong with collaboration is literally showing people in during the collaboration if you're a coach like how can they get really good feedback like feedback that's accurate it's fair it's timely it's understandable or um feedback that can actually help improve instructional strategies i mean you all of you all of you here with me that are listening today i know that you know what i'm talking about when the instructional strategies i'm looking at right now are desperately in need of instructional coaching some Mm -hmm. of the things that people are literally using we have people still assigning a massive amounts of homework where homework is very low on any kind of impact. It doesn't have to be John Hattie's research. Homework just doesn't have a lot of impact. Right. Post COVID, it has even less impact. Exactly. Worksheets don't have impact. Mm -hmm. And so what do we need? We need people, we need coaches showing people who are in front of students. What are the strategies that have the highest potential Mm-hmm. to make a difference, the highest probability, like micro teaching or feedback or um, goal setting. Yeah. I mean, all these things are where coaches could be coming in place with collaboration. And of course, that's our model for um, achievement teams is feedback, micro teaching. It's all about reflecting about the learning. And if we can get people to do that, I feel like overall, we should be showing higher levels of proficiency. Our country's in a bad place with school right now. teachers are angry. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, I used to go to places where they're really welcome. They're like, you again? No. I mean, they're like, going back, I'm like, they're they're so frustrated. Yeah. And I think what they need is a win, a big Mm -hmm. win. Mm -hmm. And they're waiting for someone to light their candle and no one knows how to do it. Right. And I think coaches are the absolute solution to getting people involved. We wouldn't be incorporating coaches in our own company if we didn't think that they wouldn't have a positive impact. They're changing the culture of the buildings they're actually working in. Mm-hmm. So I'm so just, again, thrilled to be with you and um, Alyssa. You know, I, I, I'm a, I, I stalk her too. I know Alyssa Crabtree. I've seen her. <laughs> All uh, right, Alyssa. So you're going to be reaching out to Steve and pulling him onto your um, live session before too long. <laughs> yeah. And I see and her last chat to you was like, she knows. <laughs> but that that's the thing um casey like you having me here it's a conversation i've been dying to have and i feel like again with resistant i think we should just let that go and find the person who wants it yep i agree 100 and work with that person and it and it gives it gives a coach so much more confidence when you work with someone who literally wants to be coached Mm mm-hmm and again, I would be, you work with leaders, but I'm sure Alyssa does too. I mean, my, think, my message to um, principals would be, 
hey, would you like to retain your best teachers? Would you like to have your very best people stay with you and not leave, even though there are better opportunities someplace else? Mm -hmm. I'd say instructional coaching could literally increase teacher retention. Teacher yep. leadership increases teacher retention. Yeah. And so I think um, so many different opportunities to improve what we're doing. But I feel like we went from teacher leadership in the 80s. And I remember cognitive coaching, Art Costa, cognitive coaching came out, which was almost the model for what we're talking about right now, which is more reflection, um, thinking about your thinking, metacognition. And now we have people like you and Alyssa and other people around the country who are, are expert coaches, like experts. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, um, these are these are the people that literally can change the landscape of a school, especially when that's struggling and they don't have coaching. They have, they have, they have leaders that mm -hmm. mandate. Yeah. So I don't know how, I don't mean to keep dominating, but just, you gave me this chance to talk and now I, you know, I'm Italian. So I got to, I got to <laughs> take a breath now. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Let's, um, and ask you a question. Let's say that there are, we have lots of instructional coaches who are listening now and who will listen um, to this replay. And I see so often, especially in the new to coaching group, a lot of instructional coaches talk about how they're not able to do the work that they were hired to do. They have all of the other duties as assigned, you know, which people put on um, the job descriptions, which I it's a pet peeve of mine, but it is what it is. What would you say to them? How would you suggest that they approach this kind of conversation with their admin? You know, I made a quick list for you. I just, because I knew you were going to ask me this and I hope people are okay with this. I think that, you know, I sat down and after you kind of setting me up for today, I was thinking, well, what, is an instructional coach not responsible for it? And kind of backward mapped, just looked at it and thought like, what what, what kind of conversation if somebody was really interested in having me as a coach? Like, what would I, what would I tell if somebody really wanted, tell somebody if they really wanted feedback about, you know, coaching? And I think this is, this is not um, trying to um, tell people to be resistant, but what I was looking at was just a couple of basic things. Like, and I'm going to say it again, because I, I feel like it's just too taken advantage of. I don't think an instructional coach should be serving as a substitute teacher right? or providing makeups for classrooms. I think people who are seeking to be coaches should make that clear with the people who want to do them. Like, how much substitute teaching am I responsible for? Mm -hmm. Or um, I've seen coaches sort and keep inventory of textbooks. No, you're not doing that. Right. Um, no clerical duties. You're not doing discipline. You're not doing things outside of what you're doing. And you're not serving as the administrator designee ever, ever. Mm -hmm. you, you have to, you, you, you're not preparing campus or budgets or any department budgets. I work with so many coaches. That's all they do. Um, I just think that there's better ways to use them. And I think, of course, the main reason I would say to people who want to coach is that they're engaged in a continuous learning loop mm -hmm. always. And they're always continuously learning so mm -hmm. they can actually share that knowledge with someone that they're coaching. But right now, the biggest challenge I see for coaches is being used in ways that are not appropriate. Yeah. And I hope that's kind of getting warm to your, your question because, you know, I, 
I, I just cringe whenever I see a coach having to um, be this somewhat administrative person. When they, yeah. And they don't want to be either, these coaches. They have no, no desire to do that. So no. I don't know. And, and if they do have a desire to do that, then... They could be an administrator. Exactly. Right. They could be on that path and then move into that uh, and make it known that my my goal is to be an administrator. This is what a Facebook user said. I'll take a resistor any day if I have admin who understands and supports my true role. Yes. Got it. So hard. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as I mentioned before, like I'm coming to understand coaching more and more and more. You guys are the experts. I mean, I um, just understand that instructional coaching to me is super effective when the mm -hmm. roles are defined specifically. Yes. Yep. And if we have a defined role, and this is what I learned from all of the coaches that I follow, you guys are a tight knit group, all of you. You're all on my my social media. I watch everything that you guys publish and say. And roles have to be completely delineated for coaches. And so I'm always, you know, if I were going to be a coach and you were considering hiring me, I would just say, so Casey, tell me what are my responsibilities? Because I'm going to tell you, after you tell me what they are, let's see how much they match up with what I expect to be doing. Then mm -hmm. we can kind of close the gap. But right. in your state, I feel like coaches don't get asked to do so many outside of the box things. I mean, they would, they'll help. They're not, right. they'll, they'll do it, wouldn't you? Right. But yeah, I mean, for sure. I feel really um, adamant about understanding that the coach's role is to literally increase student achievement and the ability of the teachers to be better consumers of the strategies that have the highest degree mm -hmm. of making a difference. Um, I would say things like, well, you know what I'm really good at is like, let's do, um, if I was going to coach a teacher, I would, I would do some, some micro teaching. Micro teaching has a very high effect. It's, it's, you're coaching me, Casey, and I'm teaching three or four kids, a micro lesson, 10 minutes, and you're videotaping it right? Micro teaching, small group of kids, small amount of time. And then you and I review that together. And you ask me, Steve, what did you notice about this? Mm -hmm. And then I would say things like, well, that student wasn't even paying attention. And there was only three of them. And I didn't even see that. And you would say, yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about so, that. <laughs> so those are the types of opportunities coaches should have. And yeah. I mean, my advice is like, make sure that the role is clearly delineated mm -hmm. and that you're not asked to do things that are well outside of the realm of what you think it is. Because honestly, in California, where I live, you know, my wife and I, we co-present all the time. We travel around and we're going to places that have amazing coaches who do not coach. Yep. Like, they yep. do not coach. They'll say that, that that's what their title is. Mm-hmm. But you and Alyssa and everybody else would say, that's not the job description of a coach, what you just right. said. Yep. So I think it has to be, it has to be um, really delineated. Like I said before, I feel like our principles are the number one reason why coaches should be revered mm -hmm. and um, they should be used for the purposes that serve the school the best. Yeah. Anyway, and I hope that answers it. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say too, Coaches, it 
you have to take on the responsibility of clarifying your role to the principal and not mm -hmm. waiting on a principal or assuming a principal knows what a coach does or waiting on them to give you direction because it could very well be that they don't know themselves because they've not been in the role themselves. Or they've exactly. Search or, or gained information about what it is exactly a coach is meant to, be, to do. So take on that responsibility. Go out on a limb. Yeah. And that's where then coaches can focus more on you know, question stems for improving coaching, yeah. you know, and this is where we've, we've learned a lot, Michelle and I, my wife about asking questions like, well, what would be some strategies you have tried before that were successful? Or what are some connections between this goal and these standards? Um, and I feel like, you know, I like to ask people like, well, so what are the trends that you're experiencing right now? Or how did this lesson compare to how you planned it? Those are so invaluable. And it's great yeah. conversation. Um, there's a pretty good, um, any, any, any advice, advice on, yeah. encouraging a principal to hire a coach? Yes, I can send you, um, I don't know if we'll share my email, but I would love to share with you some ideas I have about why a principal, why an administrator might want to hire a coach. Um, and then there's another one. Can we read this? Some new research was, um, Small group teaching was not as effective as whole group teaching because the amount of time spent. Uh, so it's something I've been reviewing over and over again. Oh, yeah, this isn't small group teaching all in, in the classroom. Micro teaching wasn't a, a strategy that I would say, oh, class, we're going to go to small group teaching. Micro teaching is separate from the class instruction. It's a way to actually observe your effects. So it, I, I didn't mean to be confusing. The micro teaching wouldn't replace whole group teaching. It's a way that you and I would work together with just a small group of kids outside of that regular instruction day because you're coaching me. I hope that makes yeah. sense. But yeah, I wasn't suggesting that we do, um, you know, just three on three on three on three. That's a benefit of me watching me teach. And yeah. I actually believe that a smaller recording with smaller amounts of time and, and smaller groups of kids would be way more beneficial than recording a whole class lesson for mm -hmm. 45 minutes. Right. So that, that's what I meant by that. Yeah. Yep. So great, great comment. Thanks for clarifying that. Okay. So Steve, we're actually going to start to wrap up, but I want to know um, what you would hope that our audience would gain most from this conversation? What do you want them to walk away with? And if you are here with us tonight watching live, we want to know in the comments, or if you're catching the replay, we want to know in the comments what was most useful for you in this conversation that we've had. I think the biggest takeaway from me, Casey, is there's, there's two things I think we should be reflecting on. Number one, I think coaches should help teachers understand that the main purpose is for them to continually reflect on how much impact they have day in and day out. I think a coach needs to empower a teacher to help, help them understand and evaluate their impact all the time. Mm -hmm. I think another thing is to help teachers understand that the assessments they give, the, the lessons they create, and the results they get for, back from the students are more of a reflection of the teacher's effort than the students. And if we can just get those mind frames going, like your number one mind frame would be to completely evaluate your impact every day. Most of us do. We go home, we're like, that was a good day. That was a bad day. Mm -hmm. But I think we should be questioning and, and understanding that we um, give assessments and we have a bigger role in those results than the kids do because we're the adults in the relationship. 
And I think coaches need to empower teachers to keep those two mind frames. Those assessment results are more of a reflection of the teacher. And if they're coached really well, the assessments get better. So um, those are a couple of takeaways. And the reflection piece to me is like, I'm just starting to like shift from just getting advice to thinking deeper metacognitively about those root causes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably one of my very favorite things that you've talked about is root cause analysis and getting to the why, like really thinking about instead of being reactive, being more proactive. Um, I just really love that. And one last question. I, you know, the, what's the software it's, it's micro, it's micro teaching, not micro coaching, but you don't need any software. You just turn your iPhone on and put it on a tripod and then turn it off 10 minutes later and then just go back and review it. That's that's all you need. So there is a, maybe Jim Knight's talked about, I know that Jim Knight has some information about micro teaching. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of someone else out there in the world, and I just can't pinpoint exactly who it is that has research uh, on that. But I, I have the, the research from Jim Knights because we, we use okay. it in our book. Okay. So maybe I can email that to you. I don't know. But I have the research on micro teaching there. And of course, it's a visible learning finding, too. It had a, an above, a, I think it was above 0. 0.80 mm-hmm. effect. But it's um, it's helpful. I'm sure you probably dabbled with that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Steve, tell our audience where they can find you outside of this episode. I have a website. It's just steveventura.com. And I, I wanted to um, help people understand, like when you go to my website, click on resources, there's a bunch of free downloads. There's a, there's a 25 page instructional strategy flip book there, Casey, that coaches would love. And it's based on Jim Knight's four questions. What's the strategy? What's the point? How would a student use it? How would a teacher use it? We have 25 pages of strategy set up that way. And because Melissa and Alyssa are here and I see their names, I was going to send them both our um, our um, threefold um, quick reference guide from ASCD about how to run the collaborative meeting. So it's very nicely done. I'm yes. telling you, it's uh, you. maybe you can help me with how I get them to them. Um, yes. and, but we'll send them in the mail to Alyssa and, um, and also Melissa and our Facebook user. If we can get that person's name, we'll, um, we'll get them a copy of this too. Yes. You guys, I mean, I'm coming with the prizes. This is a $13 value. I'm, I mean, I'm not even making money tonight. All right. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So if you're the Facebook user, just like send me, um, I'll look in the messages on Facebook later and I'll be able to see who it is. And so I'll get in touch with them. Yeah. Yeah. So once, once you send that to me, I'll, we'll drop this in the mail and we'll send it to them. And they're really nice to guys. They're very like, they're nicely laminated. They're very colorful. And then that's it. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Steve. That's so awesome of you to do that. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. Anything else that is um, on your mind that you want to drop before we close out tonight? On my mind, I'm good. Okay. Well, I'm good too, but I so, so enjoyed this conversation. I know that our audience hung with us. Guys, thank you for hanging in there with us and listening in on this. 
that just shows that you are wanting to learn more, wanting to go and make a greater impact. And you know what? You're going to be better for it. Your teachers are going to be better for it. Your students are going to be better for it. And I appreciate you. Um, and Steve, I just appreciate you coming on. This was such a wonderful conversation. You brought so much to the table. Thank you so much. I've been a fan of yours. I'm so happy to meet you like this and talk. And I hope we can stay in touch. And if I can get my technology together, maybe we can do something like this on just turn the tables. Yeah, So um, that sounds great. Anyway, well, I wish everybody a great uh, rest of the week coming up. And Casey, thanks again. Just, just an absolute pleasure meeting you and, and going through this together. Hope I can do it again sometime. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. I'll see you in a couple of Sundays again for another live. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Take care. Hey, guys, I want to give a huge shout out to you for tuning into today's Change Catalyst conversation. I would love for you to do me two solid favors. Number one, if you have enjoyed this or any other Change Catalyst conversation, do me a favor and hit subscribe. I've got a lot of great content and guests coming up and I don't want you to miss any of it. Number two, if you are thinking of a friend or colleague who could benefit from this show, share it with them. The only way to make change happen is through a multiplier effect. And you can be a multiplier by sharing this show. Until next time, I want you to go off and do the great things that Change Catalysts do.